Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Fitter podcast. It's, uh, what episode number is it? We're on episode 28. Oh, fantastic. And uh, today we're talking to Laura Muggridge, a local actor, storyteller, uh, extraordinaire, doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very lovely chat uh, where I, I think I only got insulted twice. Mm, uh, yeah, twice you, that I've kept in the edit. You were in the room. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... so nine. <laughs> nine. Nine times, but I kept two of those. Do you know what? We're not introducing ourselves. Oh, yes, we're not. We we even said, let's do that again, because we haven't introduced ourselves. And you know what we've forgotten? This may not be the first time we have recorded this intro. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're experts, we're improvisers, uh, we know what we're doing. Come yes. along every Sunday night to the Ironclad <laughs> Improv at the Duke Box Theatre at 7pm to 9pm. And while you're on that subject, on. we should tell the lovely listeners what we're doing this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday on the 23rd. Uh, Probably, at, yeah. At the yeah. <laughs> at the eight pm, at the eight pm, <laughs> we have we have this again, really, uh, the, the Cast Iron Fitter podcast. Yeah, but it's the Cast Iron Fitter podcast live. Yay! And we have two special guests. We do. We have Tim from James and uh, James and Tim. <laughs> we have Tim from James and Tim, our lovely friends. No, we have Tim from Doctor James's Academy of Evil. And we have a vet uh, from uh, Brighton. Uh, from Brighton. Who, uh, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Uh, they're both friends of the podcast, yeah. really. And a vet uh, was uh, award nominated uh, mm. theatre maker with her own one woman show earlier this year at the Brighton Fringe. Yeah. And we've, so we've introduced them. You know what we haven't done yet? What? Oh, before we do that, let's introduce more people that will be at the <laughs> Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Who's that, who's that then? It is. Oh, how do you say no? Lisa Kyra. Boom, got it. Lisa Kyra. Does it work if you put, hang a lamp on? And I shouldn't, yeah, say every word that comes into my head. No filter. Lisa Kyra. Yeah. And Judy Bignall, who are also Fantasticals, the comedy troupe. Yes. Um, and they're going to be providing some musical accompaniment. And it's like, uh, of the moment, it's um, somewhat satirical. It may, as we do this recording on Monday morning, it may not even have been written yet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. of the moment, it's fantastic. Um, you know what we haven't done yet? Oh, no, we still haven't, have we? No. What haven't we done? Who are you? Uh, hang on. <laughs> Processing. Um... I, well, ooh, what, uh, who actually am I? Oh, it's too early in the week for <laughs> metaphysics. For philosophical questions. No, it's just that I have two surnames, don't I? I never know which one I use. Um, oh, I am... You mean deep, this is the worst exposure of deep cover ever. <laughs> I've given away, I've blown my cover. Um, I am Michelle Donkin. And I am Andrew Allen. Woohoo, we got there. This is the Cast Iron Fitter podcast with Laura Muggridge. Enjoy. So here we are um, with our, I don't even know what episode of the podcast is, I have presumably told you in the prologue, and we are back in Brighton, this is our first podcast episode uh, after our triumphant return from Edinburgh. I think, I think it was a straight face. It's uh, glorious. 
and we are uh, just about less than a month away from our first live episode of the podcast, yeah. uh, which is coming up at the end of the month at the Duke Box in Hove or Brighton, depending on where your demarcation demarcation. <laughs> how many syllables can I put into that one word? I've, I've had like one sip of wine. I'm not recording a podcast. I'm going to take with the wine, wine. away yeah, yeah, yeah. away from you. What's What's cute about that is even for the purposes of an audio gag, you literally did Moved take the wine yeah. away. Yeah, I've got commitment Commit. to acting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hello, Laura. Laura hello. Mugridge, how are you? I am all right, thank you. Um, so this is a, a, a podcast between two people who actually have known each other about I want to say almost like. 10 years or probably, eight, 10 years? I think probably even longer than 10 years. Do you years. think? I think so, because I think maybe, oh, I mean, maybe like 11, which yeah. is less neat than saying 10, isn't it? <laughs> it's like... If, 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 I will it, correct you, but only by six months. You were trapped between <laughs> memory loss and OCD. <laughs> what, is, what is OCD like for people who have memory loss? That's going to be dreadful. Crikey, I don't know. It's stressful. Um, yeah, so I think we met when I lived in Brighton the first time yeah. round. Um, having got sick of London and then I was in Brighton for a bit and then found myself commuting to London all the time. Yeah. And I'm not sure, I've said this to you before, I'm not entirely sure in which circle I met you, whether it was like improv workshops or if it was in a stand-up crowd. I remember where I met you. I met you in the bay window. um, Not in the window. That sounds horrific. I was going through some stuff at the time. I was earning some cash. (laughs) These things happen. Um, in the bay window table, which is what yeah. I failed to add at the Marlborough Theatre. Yes. That's where I met you. Yeah. And I thought, oh, he's a nice chap. And then, yeah, and then here we are. I can't get rid of you. No, I'm afraid not, no. Um, <laughs> yes, I was probably sort of being diffident and glasses wearing, uh, which... Um, which has completely changed now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so, yes, um, you, I, there was... Um, you were working on like you were doing you were moving towards or moving through sort of stand-up material at that point but going closer towards storytelling really yeah so I did stand-up for about six years I started my first gig was on the 23rd of June 2006 wow <laughs> and um and then I did it yeah for about five or six years I think yeah uh, and then um my first gig was at the Marlborough yes. Theatre doing Rabbit in the Headlights and I um, remember I, I was holding the microphone with my right hand. Uh, Is that my... what the training said? <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. no, I had no training. I just, <laughs> I was just up there like a loose cannon. Yeah. Um, and my left hand was, I think, about sort of behind my back. And at one point, I thought, I'll swap my hands around. Then I realised my left hand was really shaking. Oh. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change that back again. Um, and they normally gave people about sort of seven minutes yeah. and then if they were just horrendous or you know really struggling then the a light would come on and I remember I was talking for 18 minutes and they didn't turn the light they didn't flash the light and so I think if my first gig had been bad I would never have done it again it's an interesting point because my first gig was also at Rabbit um, I uh, was at a wedding reception the, the wedding reception was not at Rabbit of the headlights uh, <laughs> You're but too I was, stressful for I a was, wedding no uh, I was at a wedding reception and a um, a friend of mine or well, two friends uh, a couple uh, had um, were speaking to me and the guy said oh have you ever done stand up uh, and I hadn't and they said, oh, a friend of ours um, runs a stand-up night mm. for newbies. Uh, you, you should do that at some point. I went, uh, uh, yeah, okay. So I sort of, I think I got in contact and um, 
got myself booked in for the following month, which yeah. was like I think a November slot, whatever. Yeah. It might have been the same year, maybe roughly. And um, I didn't know that all the good advice was that you aim for like a four minute or a three minute, uh, even oh a God. seven minute. How long did you I, do? I did a, full, I did a ten. Okay, um, I was going to say, I did. I thought you were going to say, I did about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, everyone left. <laughs> I, I, I was the last act on. I was the last act okay. on. Okay. Oh, no, you were the headliner. Well, but because nobody knew who the hell I was, and it was, it was my first gig, um, and I'd never done stand up before, um, so I was the last one on. And in all fairness to the other acts on the night, they put a, a lovely amount of effort into making me look good. Um, right, and um, I see. it also happens. I, I think that in all fairness, the the ten minutes that I wrote. They served me well for about the. I think I did about the same amount of, same amount of time um, yeah. in, in gigs that you did. So I think a lot of that material stayed with me yeah. for the next yeah. six years yeah. or so. Uh, although I probably did fundamentally less gigs. I, I I remember going up to Edinburgh Fringe for the very first time and um, around that year, around that time, and really being sort of seduced by sort of Edinburgh and really enjoying Edinburgh wondering whether or not I wanted to come up as a, as a performer, mm. as a stand-up. And I had a, within my first six months, I had a sort of a Damascus moment of, does the world really need a white, male, fairly well-spoken <laughs> comic See, it's talking good. about what's funny about life and shit? It's good you had that realisation, because a lot of people don't. Uh, <laughs> people don't, re- don't realise that and uh, just carry on. Well, I had it quite early on, and I... And, I think, in all fairness to myself, my material wasn't bad. It was perfectly fine. I don't think I ever had a bad gig. Um, I never sort of bombed at all. But none of my material was particularly groundbreaking. I wasn't particularly original. I wasn't particularly sort of um, saying anything that any act or my own social personality wasn't any particularly original to anybody yeah. else. So I thought, and I didn't have the passion for it. I didn't, it wasn't burning for it. I didn't want to. I think get... it's too. Um, I think it's too difficult a thing. I think it's too grueling and too. My experience of it was that it wasn't well paid. Most no. of the time, it wasn't paid at all. No. Um, so I was working full time in the in the day and then doing gigs in the evening. And I, I think, unless you really, really want to do it and you want to get to sort of the top level of it, then it's too hard. Like yeah. I, that's that I knew that I didn't want to be a famous stand up. Like no. I didn't want. My goal was never to go on the on the panel shows and that's not because I don't think you know particularly you just don't like being interrupted like them <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn, damn smash everything up now um, but I knew that I didn't want that there just was that wasn't a route that I wanted to yeah. go um, and and I knew that in order to get to that route I'd have to gig like eight nine times a week yeah. and go to Bristol for five minutes or whatever and I knew yeah. that I wasn't willing to do that and we should sort of uh, qualify for people who are not part of that world you literally mean five minutes. Yeah, I do so mean... People I, have to travel, yeah, like, yeah. 70 miles yeah, for a five-minute five unpaid minutes. gig. Yeah, and I think you, over the over a period of time, you develop um, things where you say, OK, I'm not going to this place unless I get at least a 10 or yeah, I need to yeah. do a 20 or I want to, you know, want to open or whatever. And, you know, you do, you do start getting paid, but it was never sustainable no. for me. And also, I found it quite lonely. Mm. Um, I found the travelling quite lonely, and I did meet, I did meet lots of lovely people. Yeah. Some you know, people that I've sort of held on to. Yeah. 
but you sort of meet people in a very sort of transient you meet people and then you go and do your gig and then you just everyone sort of disappears because everyone's got to get back and or go on to another gig um i also felt like my style of comedy like i never wrote any jokes i never told jokes i never really properly wrote anything down i just told stories and I was aware that I enjoyed that style and I was I was not going to suddenly start writing jokes because that wasn't what drove me as a, yeah. as a writer or as a comedian. Um, and I knew that that, in a, in a sort of traditional stand-up sense, was going to get me nowhere. And I think if um, I remember correctly, in terms of what you see uh, on, the, on the circuit now, that puts you slightly ahead of the curve because storytelling from various um, artists and various uh, comics, that's become a lot more popular now. Certainly now, even the straight stand-ups will pick a, a particular theme yeah. for their hour yeah. and unpick that for the entire hour. But actual storytelling, that... But, but yes, I, like, for an hour, that's great, but it doesn't necessarily... or It's not necessarily what people want for five minutes. No. Um, and what I realised was there was a progression that... At, I think at some point people started coming to see the gig because it was me. Yeah. Not many people. (laughs) (laughs) But rather than going, I'm going to go and see some comedy. Yeah. And some people liked storytelling and some people didn't. Um, But I was just sort of part of the lineup and they sort of tolerated me or enjoyed it depending on what they liked. But that was the shift going, oh, these people have come to see me specifically. Yeah. I think that's a really important point, isn't it? I have a somewhat controversial view, at which nobody's yet agreed with me on. Okay, hit me. In that, um, I think that for a stand-up comic to be telling jokes, the jokes thing isn't necessarily that important. If you're charismatic and your stage personality is engaged enough, you've got a bit of a leeway. Uh, the, uh, the audience can be invited to enjoy you for quite a while, and jokes, per se... Even arguably, this is where I lose people, being funny isn't really as important as people tend to sweat over. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes when I was doing gigs, I felt like I'd get to the end of of listening to someone else's set. And um, I would think, oh, I don't think they were actually very funny, but they've sort of convinced the audience that they were because they were just so confident. Just sort of basically someone i mean this was usually a you know usually a man usually a white a white cis man um um and it was like they'd spend five minutes going i'm funny i'm funny i'm funny i'm funny and people be like oh he's he's really funny yeah (laughs) um but i got i sort of got bored of that yeah um and i yeah, it felt quite lonely, and I wanted, and I didn't like, I didn't like having that level of adrenaline all day, mm. um, to be ready for a five-minute gig in the evening. It just I, sort of wasn't sustainable for like yeah. my health. Like no. I couldn't, I didn't enjoy it. I did it the other way around. I, I tend to sort of like ignore it during the day and then do it at the gig. And even if the gig was fine, I'd come off it and then I'd panic and and <laughs> have nervous attacks and stuff. And the only way that I could describe it is. It's as if you spent five minutes bungee jumping yes. successfully, yeah. and then you come back up to the platform, and the person says, "Oh, oh look at that! You weren't tied up to anything." <laughs> yeah. I used to feel <laughs> so sick before every single gig, and I used to stand backstage knowing that it was me on next. And every time, th- every time, I used to think, 
why the why the hell do I do this? Like, why am I doing this? This is I, this feeling is awful. And then I do it, and I come off and go, oh, that's why I do it. Did Did you ever get the horrifying thing, um, which anecdotally has happened to uh, many female comics? Did you ever get introduced as the female comic? Oh my god, so many times. Oh really? Oh god, <laughs> so many times. My best introduction, by best I mean worst and most sexist, was um, well. Next up, we've got a woman, <laughs> and um, and we all know that women aren't that funny. Um, but this one is relatively attractive, so if she's wow, <laughs> she's, condescending and yeah, condescending. No. So if she's terrible, you can just look at her. Please welcome to the stage. And I was like, are you kidding? Like I sort of that was before I was used to it. Yeah. I think that was my first introduction of. <laughs> that's literally the only thing that mattered. Also, the fact that you said reasonably attractive was actually quite offensive. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're sort of the wound. <laughs> I know. Um, so that was horrendous, and I and I did. I, I definitely know I didn't say anything good enough to him. Yeah. I still haven't even properly now, like <laughs> ten it's years processed later. Processed it. <laughs> of a great response. Um, yeah, I got that quite a lot. Yeah. And I used to turn up to gigs and people would be like, oh, hello, you're here to see the comedy. I'd be like, no, I'm like, an hour and a half early, I'm clearly here to do it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, um, well, you need to get a ticket. I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, listen again. <laughs> um, yeah, so that got quite boring. Because that's arguably not changing anytime soon. I mean, you and I neither are, you know, gigging at the moment. But... Again, anecdotally, I hear from, you know, friends who are still doing, um, who are successful stand-ups, people who, you know, BBC gigs and, you know, are on television and radio regularly, still being introduced as... The woman. The woman. <laughs> yeah. You know, when they are probably the only name that anybody's heard of on, on the set yeah. list. And I, I like to think it's changing. I think there are a lot of, a lot of female comics who are doing really well. And, but someone, I can't remember who it was, said... That, that it's ridiculous that we're still having the debate. Yeah, are course. women funny? Yeah. yeah, some women are funny. Some women are not funny. Some men are funny. Some men are not funny. Like, of course, some women are funny. Yeah, of course. Like, it's very frustrating that we still have to have that discussion at all. Um, and I've had people come up to me and go, "I don't, I don't normally like women comedians, or worse, comedians," which is one yeah. of my least favourite words. Uh, but you were actually quite funny. You know, it's a compliment, right? <laughs> oh, and once I'd finished, like, kicking him, um, <laughs> he told me that. Um, but, yeah, so that happened. That happened a lot. And um, I, 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 that wasn't what drove me out. No. Uh, nothing really drove me out of comedy. It just was sort of a natural shift towards wanting to tell longer stories, yeah. I think, and wanting to collaborate a bit more. What, uh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because you, you spoke already about it being potentially quite a lonely mm. business. Because um, stand-ups generally have to look after themselves, at least until they've got an agent. Yeah. And so it becomes, yeah, a, quite a, a singular idea. So that's a... We already were going to speak about the fact that you were drawn to stories. But I want to segue into that whole thing about collaboration first. Yeah, I think like I did. I did work with some other comedians. I did a you know a few stand up shows in Edinburgh with other people, which made a big difference. But I think fundamentally, I was never part of a working on the stand up circuit. Never part of a double act. Yeah. Um, and I sort of always wanted that. Yeah. Uh, and then what happened a few years 
ago, um, sort of about five years ago now, I started working with a musician called Tom Adams. Yeah. Um, and it sort of turns out that he was also doing the stand-up circuit at the same time as me. We never gigged together. No. And he was also maybe getting a little bit frustrated with that, th- with the same things that I was sure. getting frustrated yeah. by. And then we sort of found each other once we were both making theatre. Yeah. Um, and we've been really strong collaborators, so now I feel like I am in a double act. And that's an important thing to nice. qualify, isn't it? That although the work that you're doing might be described as comedy, it might be described as storytelling, it is theatre. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no, like, the, the work that I make now in theatre is really no different to my stand-up. It's yeah. just me. Yeah. <laughs> me not playing a character talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much like now, really. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but, you know. What was your first story? Better. Oh, crikey. I don't, well, actually, no. Let, let, let's um, go for what I was about to make a joke of. <laughs> what was your first story? Do you remember, like, a, a, as a child, stories that you were telling? I remember... <laughs> as a child, I used to pretend I was a mermaid quite a lot when I went swimming. Yeah. I used to spend a lot of time on the bottom of the pool. Yeah. Um, to a disturbing amount that people would worry about whether you were going to come up or not? No, I wasn't a great swimmer. Okay. <laughs> So a floating just, mermaid. Just, or just drowning, a drowning mermaid. Um, and I, but I do remember when I was in first year at high school, I really liked writing stories. Oh, I know what. So um, my... Um, <laughs> I had a pet rabbit when yeah. I was seven. And um, it was a bit wild and it like scratched my mum. She had yeah. to have an inje- tetanus injection and it ate through a little bit of her sewing machine. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> we, so we gave we decided to release the rabbit I mean I didn't decide to release the I rabbit I think I remember you he used to tell this the story was the stage. my stand up yeah, yeah. but this like in, it sparked off a story when I was much younger um, and um, so my mum and dad decided to I mean <laughs> like, with hindsight this is horrendous right <laughs> so we took this rabbit in a not in a bag in a some sort of box to um to some woodland. Yes. I mean, a lay-by, really. It was a lay-by. It's near a pub. Released him into the wild and then drove off. And I was... I, like, I remember being very upset. And I used to... Then I went into a thing of writing stories about the fun you'd have. Like yeah. meeting a wise-cracking owl or something. Yes. So I remember that was Has a that bit, permeated any related to work? And it, I mean, with hindsight, it was probably dead within four minutes of yeah. us driving away because it was a pet rabbit, basically. Yeah. I mean, um, but I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> but I really didn't know that for a long time. Um, but I, yeah, I used to write stories and tell stories about what a lovely time he would be having. Yeah. It didn't turn into sort of like a Richard Adams sort of... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I had a filter on yeah. that stopped me going to that disturbing place. Yeah. Um, and I used to really like writing stories and poems, and I always liked. Um, sounds like a silly thing, but I always like writing stories about pe about people. Like I'm yeah. still fascinated by sort of ordinary, I don't know, ordinary people, and, and getting little tiny details about. I, that I realized. So I was doing a show this weekend in Kendall a show that I was um, commissioned to make yeah um, and someone was asking me about what sort of theatre I do or what sort yeah. of storytelling I do and I said I'm really interested in people and tiny details and making work for small audiences in unusual spaces yeah I thought 
oh yeah that's 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 good like I'd not sort of really said all those things together before and I thought yeah "Yeah, that that is what I like doing and it's finding you know huge kingdoms inside tiny banal moments yeah and just spotting things that people wouldn't necessarily spot yeah tiny little things we're jumping over your um career timeline quite a lot at the moment uh but one of the um shows that i really enjoyed in edinburgh uh is almost a sort of a, a business card of um um shows for small audiences yeah. in unusual spaces uh a show called running on air yeah uh, basically i peaked in 2010 <laughs> <laughs> it's been a slow is it, downward is it, is it far back as 2010 yeah it was wow. 2010 i did the show and then I toured it in 2011. It's um, it could be argued uh, that it was a relatively easy show to tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Well, you know, literally the case of you know you were in Tell theory. You what, I will give gone. you the number of my mechanic <laughs> <laughs> and of the RAC. Should we explain and what the show was? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it was um, it was a piece of autobiographical theatre, and it was in um my vintage VW camper van ah. to five people at physically once. literally in the inside van. the van yeah. um, and um, it like we sort of bl- blacked the windows out so yeah. it created like another world really yeah. within there and there were projections on the front windscreen yeah. and had made a rainbow from fairy lights and there was a um Pape mache model of an inaccurate um, <laughs> <laughs> very inaccurate model of the Lake District yeah um, made out of papier-mâché yeah. and um, I sort of I wanted to originally make a show about um, camping yeah. and the sea and nature and, and it ended up becoming a show about how I made that show yes yeah. Um, because lots of things kept getting in the way of me trying to make the <laughs> show and so I just did it about those things yeah. I sort of just tackled those and looked at those instead of making the original show. And that's been a theme, actually, of a lot of the stuff that I've made has ended up being a show that shows the workings out of the show that I didn't actually make. Yeah. And another theme in your shows is water. Yeah. Uh, That's a linking theme. Um, We're we're sitting in a room that actually has a poster of... uh, I am making sure that I don't mispronounce his name, but the watery (laughs) journey of Nerys... No, not Nerys... Nerius. Nerius. Not Nerius Hughes. Uh, <laughs> no, Nerius very Pike. different. Yeah. Um, so that was a show that I made. That was kind of the show that I made after Running On Air. Yeah. So I I um, premiered Running On Air in Edinburgh in 2010. And that did really well. Um, and I was very proud of that yeah. show. Um, and then I made another show. I wanted to make one for traditional studio spaces. So I made The Watery Journey of Nerius Pike, which was about an old man floating from the top of the water down to the bottom of the ocean where he sort of became myth and yeah. magic. Um, and that was the first time I worked with Tom Adams. And yes. I also worked with Katie Shute, yes. who I met doing comedy in Brighton yeah. and who I've known for a long time. And the three of us worked really, really well together. Yeah. Um, so I started making that when I was very early pregnant. Yeah. Um, had a brief gap and uh, after a few months to you know have a baby yeah and then started making it again i I, am i remembering correctly because um obviously water and imbues that piece to a great degree Mm. am i correct in thinking that 
your pregnancy also in terms of water and um, ultrasound also became part of the piece? Yeah, so my son's, a recording of my son's ultrasound was in the piece. And at one point I talked about um, Nerea sort of floating in a dark, watery space. And I very much imagined that, that, because I knew I was having a boy. Um, And so I wonder what kind of show I would have made had I not been pregnant. It became a very visceral, I don't know if visceral was the right word, but it became very... um, of the moment it became really yeah. sort of prescient and very yeah. sort of 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 its time and when really. i when we sort of did a um we did a performance of it at camden people's theater and i was seven and a half maybe eight months yeah. pregnant my stomach was r- like really moving yeah, yeah. like really wriggling and tom said like no one is going to focus on anything <laughs> you're saying <laughs> Your stomach is moving that yeah. much because yeah. <laughs> um, I had that adrenaline that was yeah. obviously affecting him. He was like having a proper <laughs> wriggle around, um, but I loved that. I don't think you see massively pregnant women enough anywhere. No, no. <laughs> really. There's um, the um, Ali Wong. Ali Wong, uh, the stand-up that she's oh, about yeah. on the um, Netflix. Up on the, I've become very old <laughs> on the Netflix. Up on uh, that. Netflix. Up on that. Yeah. T- Ali Wong, she's uh, got an hour on Netflix when she's about seven months mm. pregnant uh, and just looking fabulous and fierce. Mm. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm aware that I was very lucky that I had a very straightforward pregnancy, yeah. so I was able to carry on working. Yeah. I was also working with people who supported the fact that I was pregnant and needed to go to the toilet every yeah. five, six minutes. Um, and that's genuinely not an exaggeration. Um, so I was very lucky to be in a situation where being really pregnant wasn't a, a hindrance to anything. It was because I know not everyone has that experience. And yeah. um, and so I was lucky that I could carry on working. And you were sort of... Um, it's Although this is, this is literally true, it's also not entirely accurate to say you were playing an old man. With a bit more um, no, I was that. I was playing me. Yeah. Um, and when I started making the show, I all I knew about it was that I wanted it to be about the sea, and I had the face of an old man in my head. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's him. I have to make his story. No. How often do you go into a show? knowing that little um uh, relatively <laughs> sort of relatively f- frequently well, yeah. sort of i always know if i'm making something i always know this is going to make me sound like a massive hippie but i'm sure. down with that yeah. um i always know what color the show is yes and that's nothing to do with the design yeah. or what the stage will look like but i know what color it is yeah i know exactly what color the show is and someone um once gave me the advice of when you start making something, make the nest of the show first. Yeah. So I always know what colour a show is going to be, and I know, um, and I put a soundtrack together yeah. for the rehearsal process. That's not necessarily for the show; it's no. for rehearsal. So it's what I'll listen to on the way to rehearsals. Has there ever been a uh, a piece of music that you you uh, feel is destined to end up in a show at some point, but never has made it? Uh, not that hasn't made it. I listened to so Jump by Van Halen was yeah. very much part of my rehearsal soundtrack for Nereus Pike, yeah. and we used to do a ridiculous choreographed warm up to it. Yeah. Um, and that ended up in the show. Yes. That wasn't supposed to be no. in the show. Um, and I wanted to see what it sounded like acoustically, to sing it kind of quite slow, 
and and uh, we were all very relieved that it sounded nice because you know some songs are great when they're like massive power ballads but as soon as you slow them down you realize the lyrics are dreadful or like really rude (laughs) but i remember it became it became really narratively important yeah it it, was really lucky it almost felt like not I, I don't I don't think I had this response to it, but it uh, but it felt like that was the only track you could have used. Yes, yeah. it was just very lucky. It was sort of very fortuitous, because um, that was played at the point where Nereus kind of hits the bottom of the what he thinks is the bottom of the sea, but then he realizes he realizes that it isn't, and actually there's a there's a load more, and yeah. so basically he has to jump. Even yeah. though, like, biologically and scientifically, let's I mean, not, he's dead, right? He's so dead. But, yes, poetically, then singing jump acoustically. Yeah. I am really f- strangely fascinated by hearing what big songs like that sound like when oh, they're slowed down and, and played totally really simply. I'm totally on that, yeah. I, I love sort of uh, a lot of the cast iron nights allow me to sort of indulge my fascination that almost every single track we play is an acoustic or I don't know what the term is for this yet but when you have a modern track played as if it was recorded in the 30s or 40s oh, it's like sure. rev- not even because Barbershop is a very particular style yeah. but um, uh, that whole idea of a sort you of, know what I'm worried that it, that's, that style is not that style but yeah. the style of playing like big songs acoustically is, yeah. is John Lewis advert <laughs> it is a bit that yes. that's what I'm worried it about that. Um, but that whole idea <laughs> I of, was like oh this this massive corporation has stolen my style I, I want to call it I want to call it reverse cover that's not quite what um, I mean but yeah that whole going back in time so yeah re- retro retroization yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a but I, I've been... It is now. It um, be. we, we've recorded it. Um, we, all of our 12 listeners will, will yeah. sort of um, confirm yeah, that. I'll, I'll listen. I'll all of our 13. Oh, my God, 13. There you go. Well done. Oh, we need oh, to get another one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and this, this links in also um, with another connective theme because um, you, um, when you've not been performing uh, in the last year or so, you've also been a doula. I have um, been a doula. So this is a... So a doula... Um, is um, so it's from the Greek word meaning slave woman um, but we're sort of trying to rebrand that um, yeah <laughs> reclaim the phrase yeah um, so it's like a midwife yeah uh, but someone who offers emotional support to the family so specifically there for the family to the person giving birth yeah rather than it's not a medical profession no. Um and I was I had a like as I was saying I had a very straightforward pregnancy I was I had a very straightforward birth I'm not going to use the word easy because you know it's quite difficult getting a person out of your body um but um and I was really inspired by the relationship I had with my midwife who was very sort of hands-off very calm very relaxed um and I thought if I can provide that experience if I can help just one other person have a similar straightforward experience then I want to do that yeah um so i'm quite new to being a doula which and it's nice because i've been making theater for about 10 years and i've only helped um with two births so i feel like i'm starting a new career which is exciting because i'm at a point of wanting to learn all those things um and being at the beginning of learning a craft yes which is very exciting one of the reasons one of the reasons i guess where we're talking about that is because 
it is actually informing your your theatrical career as well. Yeah, so in the offing, um, I've been working on an arts council bid today, which is why there's wine in my house. Yeah, you don't um, need an excuse for wine. No, I don't. You're absolutely right. Thanks for outing me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not quite what I meant. Um, no, all right. Yeah, all right. If that's the way you want to go with that. I'm also a mother. Come on. Um, <laughs> I am. Um, I'm working with an amazing theatre maker in Exeter called Katie Villa, um, and we are um, we are starting something off called the Birth Project, yeah. um, which is uh, it's still very new. So I don't feel like we've got. I haven't got my sentence of cool vocab for okay. it just yet, Your but it will it will encompass a number of things. So one of the things is a performance called Wild, yeah. um, which is something that has been kind of on the back burner for a while, um, and um, that's Katie and I, and it's sort of part. What did we say it was? Part riot, part wake, part um, rite of passage, and I guess sort of part clown show yeah. about the language that we use around birth. Um, and uh, so I had a very positive birth experience. Katie had a much more complicated birth experience. Yeah. And so we're making something. But there will be no plinky plunky acoustic music. It no. will be loud and it will be um, fierce and it will be funny. And there will definitely be a glitter bomb. Fantastic. Um, and we are uh, doing a work in progress showing of that in January at the Bike Shed Theatre in Exeter. Yeah. And then we are going to adapt it and perform it at the Doula UK conference at the end of March. <laughs> wow. Wow. Where there'll be 250 doulas. You're saying that with such calmness. <laughs> it's the wine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but you have, um, talking about calmness, uh, am I correct in remembering that you have voiced concerns, perhaps what, what, what one of the objects of the birth project is, you have voiced concerns about how birth is represented uh, in media and oh, in, on, yeah. on, set, on screen. Yeah, so I, um, as a part of the last work in progress sort of week of kind of doing a bit of work on it, which was a while ago, yeah. um, uh, Katie and I found lots of examples of birth represented on TV and in film, and it was all like, get it, get it out, yeah. get it out, this is a word, don't you ever touch me again. And although some people do have that experience, some and it's, people... And it's basically good comedy sometimes. Well, is it? No, yeah, yes, <laughs> but it's also what it's doing is it's it's very much um, giving people, and, and it's sort of really been absorbed yeah. that actually birth is horrific and it is just something you have to get through yeah. to get your baby. And I am really aware that some people do have that experience yeah. and it can be really traumatic inevitably in pretty much any tv show or on film if someone says they want to have a home birth it's ending in death like yeah. for baby or mother or both um there was a really nice home birth in the uh second season of broadchurch yeah spoiler alert <laughs> i've genuinely not yet two years ago. Of, uh, just a nice home birth yeah. like in a in a in a pool at home yeah. um and so I just think we should be given a bit... I mean, it's like everything, really. We should be just given a bit more of a balanced view. Yeah. Because it's all very violent. And it's all, um, you know, women being lying down on um, those kind of trolleys and being yeah. pushed through the doors, feet first. Yeah. 
just like I don't know. I mean, yes, it's yes, it's comedy, but it's also relentless. Yeah. Um, you and think, I think somebody there would is... hold those doors open? I know, right? Like, there's loads of people milling <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> like, I know the NHS is superbly you know, underfunded. It's but, ridiculous. You know, yeah. Just like hold the door open for the yeah. poor woman. Yeah. She's producing a person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have I've had a little look at that, and I've also been I, as part of research a few years ago. Um, I went to a five-day midwifery conference. Yeah, I just feel like a massive birth geek. I think that's. Like I love. Yeah. Just love geeking out about birth and talking about it, and I thought, how can I, how can I respond, to, this passion that I have. And first, I thought it was a show, and then I thought, well, maybe it's not a show. Maybe I just become a doula. Yeah, and then I've I've done that, and I'm like, ah, it's still a show, yeah, as well as being a dealer. And it seems that I don't know if it's the right word to use, but there's a lot of um, power there. That it just feels like a sort of a very powerful process, whether it's a, a doula or oh, a... it's got yeah. This current like my feeling about birth has got fire behind it. Yeah, yeah, um, and I just find that every time Katie and I talk about it, we I, I feel like we both feel kind of fired up and inspired. Yeah. Yeah. So, Arts Council, <laughs> if you're listening, please, please fund, please fund our project. I think I might attach at the end a picture of my son looking malnourished. Okay, to yeah. To say this will happen if you don't give us the funding. Is that acceptable? I don't know. There's a, there's a photograph mm. of um, in, in a Brighton food shop, uh, not so far from Brighton train station. Yeah. There's a, a black and white photograph of a child that I sincerely believe was, I didn't understand the logic behind it being a food shop, of a malnourished child from like the East End of London in the, in the 20s Righto. with their hands. Oh my God. <laughs> Interesting held marketing strategy. I thought, That's a weird yeah, choice. Maybe I should go and get look at that for some tips. It took me about seven years of living in Brighton to work out, oh, it's a child winning a race at a, like a sports day. <laughs> Oh, not uh, reaching out for food. Not reaching out for uh, food, no. No sandwich attached to the camera. Um, <laughs> wow, um, that's an interesting choice. But it essentially does not work. Um, yeah, okay, well, I won't put that in there. Talking about food, so about potatoes. Oh, potatoes. So, God, my life sounds ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> when someone else talks about it. Um, so I am the associate artist of the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology in Cambridge. Did you ever think it would come this far? <laughs> No, I've peaked. <laughs> Actually, no, I peaked in 2010. Like second of, peak. You've got lots of peaks. More <laughs> peaks than the Alps. <laughs> like a lemon meringue pie. Yeah. Um, and I love working there. Yeah. It's a museum full of fascinating, crazy stuff. Uh, and I was commissioned to make a piece as part of a company that I am co-director of called The Campsite, yeah. um, which is theatre, music and film happening in vintage caravans, campervans and tents. Yes. And so I made my first piece for that museum in 2014. Um, about 14, 2014, I think. Okay. Yeah. And then I just loved working there and I loved working with them, the woman I was sort of liaising with and um, they have some uh, 500-year-old potatoes, Peruvian freeze-dried potatoes. Wow. And, uh, well, I had to make a show about those. Yeah. Um, so I I did that. They've got eight potatoes, actually, in the whole of the museum. They've got those three yes. Peruvian potatoes yeah. that are 500 years old. And as I told my audience, that means they are all 
10 times older than Julia Roberts. Of course. That was my That was your, that your, was your yardstick, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember there being a, a headline uh, during the year about um, a, a, f- a new fleet of London buses. Yeah. And the headline was, um, oh, the new London buses are three times faster than chickens. Well, that's an, <laughs> an interesting Don't work. go to work on a chicken. Like, that's going to be late <laughs> every day. Go to work on an egg, which is a, a very old 1960s advertising slogan <laughs> for our older listeners. Don't go to work on a chicken. No. But I thought, where have they picked that? That is ridiculous. Although, you remembered it, right? Yeah, I did, I did, yeah. Um... So, um, this mu- really this potato museum. Yeah, it's has, not a potato oh, museum. No. <laughs> but it has eight exhibits of potatoes. No, it's, it's, you can only Hang see on. five. It's got eight potatoes. Yes. Five of those potatoes are on display. So you can see five of the potatoes. Three of those potatoes Three of, are you, backstage. Can you, can you, see, uh, you can see the potatoes. Can the potatoes see you? They can see me, yes. Yes. Because they know I'm talking about okay. them. It was more, um, more of like a potato got, got eyes <laughs> gag. But I guess they're not, they're not still growing, I guess. No. No, no that would be terrifying. No. Um, so I made a sort of war- a mini walking piece um, that went round the top of the, on the top floor of the museum and um, uh, talking about the potatoes, um, doing a survey of people's opinions about potatoes, showing them the potatoes, yeah. getting them to throw potatoes into a washing <laughs> up bowl. I really like making, not making, encouraging audiences to do ridiculous things in really sensible places. It's kind of mash-up. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> I, I just feel like I've set him off now. <laughs> God, what have I done? Created a monster. One of the bits was when I put him... Um... <laughs> oh, I'm just waiting for the next one. I can just no, see the now. cogs going. I know, I'm done. Because I've done. got so many... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you've, you've worked on this already. I have got them yeah. stored. Um, I put um, headphones on somebody, yes. put a bit of brown cloth over their shoulders like a poncho, and um, they listened to, quite loud, listened to a 1950s song about potatoes, of which there are a surprising amount. <laughs> um, and then like, over that music... They then had to shout as many different ways of preparing potatoes that they could think of, which was, from an outside point of view, beautiful to watch. Yeah. And then their family or whoever was there with them had a piece of paper that had loads of different types of potato yeah. preparation that I'd put together yeah. in collaboration with various people, including the museum. And the lovely thing was, it's sort of a, it's a mezzanine, so the top level you can also see down <laughs> to the bottom level. So this beautiful, lovely, quiet museum. You just hear someone going, "Rusty, mash!" Am I shouting? It was beautiful. <laughs> One man just started shouting vodka over and over again, and he Fair couldn't enough. think of anything else. Um, That's it was just gorgeous yeah. to watch, um, and it was yeah, it was really fun. And then they asked me to come back again. And make a piece um, uh, inspired by their India Unboxed exhibition. Yeah. So I did a sort of interactive um, snakes and ladders game, which originated in India, yeah. um, using two cardboard cups and some string. Okay, excellent. Mm, I quite like lo-fi things. Well, we're doing. Well, we're talking a lot about um, each of the things we're talking about today. Uh, seem to. L- 
beautifully segue from one to the other. You were talking about the Potato Project being a um, uh, a walking piece. Yeah. And you, you've just come back from a walking piece. I have. Yes. My legs don't work quite as well today as they <laughs> that's did not on the name, Friday. That's not the name of the, of the <laughs> It's called My Legs Don't Work. Um, <laughs> uh, it's called, it was called, oh, it's still called Up, Down and Beyond. Yeah. And it's a piece that I was commissioned to make by the Lakes Alive Festival um, in Kendall and by the Brewery Art Centre, uh, which is a theatre I've worked with a lot. Um, and it was a walking piece. Uh, the Lakes Alive Festival this weekend was focused on making audiences realise that the, basically the lakes isn't just about lakes and sheep. Like, yeah. There's a lot more to it. So I made a piece um, called, yeah, called Up, Down and Beyond, and in August I went up to Kendall. Turns out it's quite a long way from Brighton. Yeah, it is. Um, but I was originally born. I was born in Lancaster. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in, in Lancashire, so um, I felt like it was okay to yeah. you know. Um, and uh, so I did a walk from the Brewery Art Centre up through Serpentine Woods, up out onto Kendall Fell, and I walked um, with five different women. I did the walk with each of them separately yeah. people that I'd asked the theatre to find yeah. um, and I wanted women who um, sort of kept the community going but in a quiet like backstage kind of yeah. way um, and so they found these women for me and I didn't know anything about them I just knew their first name and sort of what they did but not really and I'd had, yeah. I sort of emailed them to re- reassure them that I wasn't going to kill them in the woods no um but the more you say that the more you say i think yeah if that an email is it's yeah. still an email to get yeah yeah that's like at one i'm not an go- Ashley Judd yeah fella. i'm not going to- Ashley Judd, that name <laughs> <laughs> nobody's spoken her name since 1997 <laughs> yeah, you're so retro um and as uh, so I spoke to them about their relationship with kendall and and things they saw on the walk oh. and then when we got to the top of kendall fell I just got a beautiful view. Yeah. I asked them to to tell me what piece of music they'd like to be listening to right now. Yeah. And then over the weekend, I took my audience up that same walk up the hill. Yeah. And when we got to Kendall Fell, I um, had, I had a silent disco. Excellent. So um, I I uh, got silent disco equipment with headphones and um. And then we listened to three three pieces of those music, and then other music was played on speakers while we were walking through yeah. the woods. And, and I did it three times a day, and it was wonderful. I loved it. I, again, it seems that there's... Uh, obviously, there are projects that you do that um, could arguably return to, um, but it seems that a, a real unifying theme in your work is stuff that seems genuinely ethereal, that it's just of that moment and then it whispers yeah, away. Yeah, it means gone. all my work is really unsustainable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that particular piece, I can't do it anywhere other than Kendall. No. Um, which, which for me makes it more exciting, yeah. but it also makes it really unsustainable. <laughs> um, so the only way I can go back and do that particular show is if I'm paid or commissioned again. Yeah. Or if someone else wants me to make that, then I'm ask. I'm gonna. I would have to ask for the fee to make it of course, again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the women came to see the show. That yeah. One of the women that I walked with, oh, yeah. and I was really nervous. Of course, she was lovely, yeah. and she brought her family. And yeah. um, 
um, but she didn't like. I didn't. Ref- I didn't. I didn't look at it at all. No, no. Although I'm like really personable with my audience, and I kind of try and involve everybody. But I was like, if I look at her, <laughs> like everyone will know. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't give any personal details out about no. anybody or anything. But um, at one point, I pay. I played a song as we were going through the woods, and um, she turned around and went, "Oh my God, this was our first dance song." And I went, <laughs> "I know." <laughs> you told. <laughs> that's why it's in the show <laughs> but trying to deal that like with my face sure. so no one else would know but it's yeah again it seems like that becomes very much a collection of moments which mm. well, I guess we argue the theatre uh, or story often is yeah but that seems to be something that genuinely fascinates you it, it does as you said earlier that whole idea that there are tiny moments within the large and they become large mm. themselves and what happened over the course of the weekend is that I did the walk um, five times um, and the audience, and on every single walk, one an audience member said, oh, have you seen this little thing? So yeah. I saw a thing carved into some rock yeah. by a, um, a man who was the artist at Colditz. Like he'd carved nice. his family into some rock and none of my walkers, my original walkers, yeah. spo- uh, knew about that or told yeah. me about it. So then that became part of the walk. Yeah. And then on the way back from one of the walks, one man said, there's a frog. And then like 12 <laughs> of us gathered around this frog and they're like, you can put that in your next show. <laughs> so we all talked about the frog in yeah. the next one. And I loved that they came on board and were, and were aware that they were also... The walkers. They were generally they became, interactive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you've spoken before about um, collaborating with um, Tom Adams. Yeah. And you're, you're still doing that. In fact, yeah. you have been for about... I can't get rid of him. Almost... <laughs> just almost, cannot lose that. On man. a particular project, it's almost literally... I mean, we've just passed the year anniversary. Um, yeah. And it's about to go in... You already know that you're going into the following year as well. Yeah, which is nice. W- what is this? Um, so that's a project called Bookish. And Bookish is five mini shows... Yeah. Um, each lasting about thirty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, and it each one is based on a different book, and the audience gets to decide which show they see. Yeah. It's a live blind vote. So this it sounds like you've already answered the questions, but so, so I want to sort of load it in terms of maybe wider themes. Yeah. What is it about? Uh, it's again, as is often the case with me <laughs> and Tom because we are together scamps yeah <laughs> um scamps is the word we are, used off the we are such scamps we it, it's basically about what happened when we were trying to make the shows that we didn't actually <laughs> make yeah so um one of the books is the dairy book of family cookery yeah which is a 1983 classic. Yeah. And so in it, there's a song about all the things that happened in 1983. And then we have a quiz called Name That Cheese. (laughs) And then we tracked down a urban dairy in Tottenham. So we went to interview them. But like, and we, so we play the audio of that interview and we talk about the, the guys that we met there. But like, about five minutes of the show is the recording of me and Tom getting completely lost in Tottenham. Um, and like Tom dropping his hand cream and just being ridiculous. And then that's I, not a euphemism. No, no, he actually did drop yeah, his yeah. hand cream. Um, he's a ridiculous man. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I made a, I did a dinner party for three friends who, and and um, I only made meals from that cookbook. So oh, I talk yes. about how 
horrific an evening that was and how we all had terrible indigestion so but like, how we are still friends it's not even like it's like a 70s cookbook or with like vivid unnatural colours it, it's a you know it's, I'm old enough to think that 1993 is relatively 1983. recent 1983 1983 okay. it's, not, it's not good food no, Andrew no, no. no. I um, mean sort of what, what's oh um, cucumber and tuna mousse just a lot of moose pureed cucumber moose yeah they moose a lot of stuff yeah a lot of tuna and yogurt quiche. I mean, it's not nice. Well, I mean, I like all those things separately. Individually, yeah, yeah. A lot of, but a lot of moosing going on. Unnecessary moosing. <laughs> that's a great. That's the name for the next hour, right? Unnecessary moose is yeah, yeah. yeah is my band. Um, my band. <laughs> and so, um, bookish is is it about books or uh, no? It's very specifically about those five books. Yeah. So the books are the Dairy Book of Family Cookery, yeah. um, Remains of the Day. Yeah. Ginger Rogers' autobiography. Yes. Um, Roald Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected. Yes. And The Londonator's Ed. These are books that do not have... Any link. ...much in <laughs> common. Although to use the old um, Paul Merton line uh, that he always used to say about the A to Z, uh, the stories are not, not up to much. The places <laughs> they go, they seem so real. Um, yeah, so they are deliberately five very different books. Yeah. Um, is there a winner? But by which I mean, is there a, a book that because you, you you've been doing this for a year? Um, yeah. Is there a book that gets more votes yeah. than? <laughs> it's the Dairy Book of Family. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. every time. So I, I, <laughs> Pretty I, much, almost every time. I would go for Remains or A to Z. Uh, but... uh, so A to Z is one that we have just introduced yeah. because we were doing a different book when no one ever voted for that one. So then we changed it to the London A to Z. What is the book that nobody voted for? It was called How to Analyse People, and I did some research on the CIA. Yeah. Um, and Tom read some of Darren Brown's autobiography. Yeah. And we it didn't really get us like it didn't just didn't pull us in no. and I think that came across yeah. so we never we never did it no. whereas the Londonator Z Tom went and met a real life a real life cabbie <laughs> yeah <laughs> because they're and so rare and it was rare, really awkward so. because yeah. he went to Surbiton by himself and he got lost because I wasn't with him no. but, and he shouldn't be left unsupervised and <laughs> he went, he got lost because he didn't take his A to Z <laughs> and, and he didn't have the knowledge he didn't have the knowledge no. And it's really awkward. Tom is terrible at interviewing people. Could, could the cab driver not come to him? Because logistically... <laughs> but then there's this really awkward point where Tom's, like, testing him and going, all right, so if I wanted to get from, like, here to here... Yeah. And the cabbie didn't know any of this. It was really <laughs> awkward. And Tom, like, and he just kept going. And at that point, I would have been like, let's move on. But I wasn't there. No. And Tom should not be left unattended no. talking to members of the public. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the good thing about bookish is that whatever book you choose there's a really like uh, a very strong through theme of tom and i just being silly yeah there's live music um original music that's, that tom's composed yeah. there's a quiz there's loads of audience interaction but i'm always really aware of um kind audience interaction. yeah like we're really good at it yeah and and it and it's gen it's gentle and it like I would never push anyone no. who looked like they didn't want to join no. in. But it's like a conversation. Yeah. It's more like a chat than it is like a show. And we should acknowledge that, it, that it's coming to Brighton. Uh, it's coming to Brighton in <laughs> all, like almost a year's time. But, because but, but, of the but, 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 but to be fair, but, yeah. it's got a special date to it. it yeah, it's World Book Night, yeah, which yeah. is in April next next year. Yeah. Um, so the website is wearebookish.com. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's got the current dates on it. We're, oh, we're in Margate at oh, yeah. the Payne's Plough roundabout. Oh, lovely. Um, and <laughs> so we're in the round. Yes. We've never done it in the round before. Yeah. And we've thought of a foolproof way of doing it in the round. What's your foolproof way of doing it in the round, Laura? Swivel chairs. Swivel chairs, fantastic. <laughs> it's the only thing we could think of. No, no, no I, I've seen at least one production uh, that has been in swivel chairs, and I know the, the, the Donut Theatre in London um, do a lot of productions okay. in swivel chairs. So it's well, a... I'm imagining it will be an hour of Tom and I laughing, going yeah. round in circles. And being mildly sick afterwards. <laughs> being a bit yeah. sick. So we thought either swivel chairs or we'd get funding to get a revolve like in Les Mis. Which do you think <laughs> is more likely for bookish? Dear Arts Council. <laughs> we would like Rivel. Um, With a barricade made out of books. That would be a thing of beauty, I wouldn't know, it? I know, I know. Um, I know that uh, Presuming Ed's um, has uh, the entire seats made out of... Yeah. Um, um, a barricade, Andrew, made out of books. I mean, uh, with the way the, the charity shop situation at the moment, your barricade would be main mainly out of Dan Brown books and <laughs> yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. And George Best. Yeah, yeah. oh, George Best. Well, uh, what is... Um, let's move on to those questions. Uh, um, you're, you're now living back in Brighton. I am. Um, and there are presumably places you hang out in Brighton when you're being creative and exciting and uh, filling your notepad with lots of um, Oh, yes, I do that all thoughts. the time. <laughs> yeah, all that sort of thing. Um, uh, is there a particular place or, you know... I actually really like hanging out at Brighton Library, oh, yeah. the Jubilee Library. Yeah. I find it, it's really light in there and really mm. airy. I like, and when I get fed up of being inside, I go to the sea and that's yeah. something I um, have missed yeah. living in London. Um, I Where else do I go? <laughs> I actually work from home yeah. because I like my flat. Mm. And, and thanks, and it's and it's got lots of light and it's airy, and yeah. I don't feel penned in by it. So actually, I do. I manage to work from home here in a way that I, I haven't that successfully worked from home before. That's good news. That's lovely. Yes. Um, also, the other questions we tend to ask is: um, Is there anything that you're sort of you're reading at the moment, that you're watching at the moment, that you're, you're listening to the moment, that you'd want to sort of recommend and that you're really enjoying at the moment? Um, I would always want to recommend the Guilty Feminist yeah. podcast. I'm listening to that a lot. I'm yeah. also listening to an audio book, uh, Lindy West's Shrill. Oh, yeah. um, listening to that because I've been going on trains a lot yeah. recently. I'm reading Sarah Pascoe's book, yes, Animal, uh, Animal which yeah. I'm enjoying. Um, what am I watching apart from Drag Race? I've just finished watching Jessica Jones. Ah, yes, which I found upsettingly tense it's traumatic at times isn't it yes 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 it is very tense um, but I enjoyed it yeah I mean enjoy it is the wrong word I think um, I watched it yes <laughs> watch it and fast forward and then go back yes I watched it um from behind a cushion. It's somewhat surprising isn't it that in terms of what's essentially a, a Marvel superhero series it's one of the most accurate representations of abusive relationships yeah it's um it's extraordinary yeah and every so often she jumps really high yeah mm. yeah um so you you've been in, in your sort of reading and you're listening and you're watching you've just been surrounding yourself by powerful women yeah i really have which is good and then i'm, tr- I'm trying to also bring that through to the things that my son watches yeah but he's I don't know. He's been watching a lot of uh, 
a program called Ninjago about Lego ninjas. Yes. It's not good for feminism. No. No. There's like one lady Lego ninja, and the only way you would know that she was a strong character is if you understood sarcasm. Okay. Because they'll say things like, "Why don't you stay here and look after this thing?" And she'll be go. She'll go. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah. It's like, well, that just sounds like gratitude to a five-year-old. And it's uh, lovely, isn't it? That, and by lovely, I mean disturbing. Yeah. That in the new live-action version of Aladdin, uh, because if they'd um, sort of done the live-action version as is for yeah. um, Aladdin, it would be a, um, a cast entirely of colour. Uh, yeah. They've introduced, they've created a new white character. Oh, just to thank sort of, goodness. Sort of, just, just to, um, <laughs> God, um, right. And it just seemed somewhat, you know, depressing that yeah. uh, that they had. Um, you, you, you would arguably not be particularly, a, for your son, a fan of the original Aladdin. No, that's been taken out of service in, yeah. in, in this house. And it's not just because of um, the strange um, non-nipples of Aladdin It's, it's for many, many reasons. Yeah. But um, my son's also really into... Um, I try not to call it Lady Ghostbusters because... <laughs> no, Ghostbusters 2016. Yes, that's yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, he loves it. And yeah. he requested for his birthday the car and the Ghostbuster Lego, but specifically from that film. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm quite proud of him. Yeah. yeah it's good. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and we have one other question, which is... Um, as a child or, or you know, um, maybe quite recently, you, you might have come up with an idea... For an invention or a book or an idea, um, I I know that as a child I invented the digital readout on bus stops. Oh yeah, to let, well let done. People know you say that. No. I didn't tell anybody. No, that's the perhaps the first rule of invention. Yeah, club. yeah. There's about nine plot points that I came <laughs> up with that um, subsequently made themselves into major films or TV series. Oh yeah, uh, which is great. You need to start telling people your ideas, Andrew. Or stop telling people my ideas. Yes, actually. Yes, you, yeah. I would like to invent <laughs> the breastfeeding hat. <laughs> the, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, the breastfeeding hat. <laughs> so yeah. I remember when I was breastfeeding my son, yeah. everything was always slightly out of reach. And I once had to text my upstairs neighbour and ask her to bring me a cup of tea that I could see well, from where I was sitting. Yeah. But I was in that critical point of if I move, the last hour has been undone. So sure, she yeah. had to come and pass it to me. I only did that like once. It yeah. like, didn't, you know, every 10 minutes was yeah. like bring me things. No, no. Um, so I want to invent a hat that breastfeeding mothers wear that's got like tea or coffee yeah. on one side and then and which is like a thermos yes. and it goes in like a you can have it like a straw yeah and then in the other side it's like refrigerator so there could be gin and tonic or yeah, yeah. wine yeah and then you can just alternate between the two whenever you need it or, or maybe you know or, uh, and water probably of course yes <laughs> or uh, maybe your breast should have wi-fi <laughs> and then you like contact people to sort of do stuff for you. No, but the thing is, you've got your phone though. I, I don't. See, yes. I don't need Wi-Fi breasts. <laughs> this is why you are not rich. No, no. <laughs> but I like the idea of a T-shirt saying, "I don't need Wi-Fi breasts." <laughs> no. Just bring me coffee with gin and tonics. I also realised that me saying that you know having alcohol while you're breastfeeding is a bad thing, but actually the best time to drink alcohol is while you're feeding yeah. because it's not in your system by the time you feed I again. See, yes. <laughs> Is that the defence? <laughs> is that scientifically... Oh, God. There's me making a show about birth. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so, um, 
I, I feel deep bound not to end it on that point. No, but let's I, not. I, I literally have nothing else to ask. But yeah, did, did you have a, like an idea of a kid for something that then you didn't do anything with and then came to fruition in somebody else's? No, not that someone else did. I used to invent terrible meals. Oh, yes. I remember sending him a recipe off to the, the programme Food and Drink. Oh, yes. And uh, it was called Poulet Pierre. It's basically just chicken and bits of mango. What? And that no Sounds... one took that on. No, no. It was like duck a l'orange, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but more, more, more yellow. But less delicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have um, anything else in the pipeline apart from the bookish and the bird project too? Because it sounds to me like you're a woman that has about 19 ideas. And particularly if you're like reading for a book or you're going to a museum, you, you are... You you must have about like nineteen ideas. Yeah. Go, that will happen, and then it, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, as part of as part of the birth project, there's a show called Wild, which is the show I'm making with Katie. There's yeah. also a um a project as part of that called Stitch, which is when we're going to invite local women. We're, we're going to trial it in Exeter. Yeah. And uh, we're asking women to over a course of a number of weeks put together one of those you know those like tapestry samples yeah. yeah and get them to put a quote from their birth story on that and they're being exhibited in a gallery in exeter oh, so that's something that once we've tried out and and, and for that to be really honest quotes yeah. as well um kind of subverting the whole beautiful tapestry it's a boy or whatever yeah. um and also i want to make a show for kids about the anthropology of birth yeah what does that mean uh just all about like the symbolism of things and how um and so everything that we are taught to respect is kind of tall and phallic yeah. and like women were encouraged to stand to to um, lie down during yeah. birth and be kind of covered because it was much more um demure demure and mm. ladylike but mm. actually the best position to give birth in is like all kind of crouched and yeah. it's about how the neg- like negativity of, r- of roundedness yeah. and like people are viewed with suspicion if if there's if there's roundedness and like primalness that's yeah. kind of the whole thing around the birth project is about how we're like we're being told that it's not right to be primal and it has to all be very clean and medicalized and and okay that that also links into i guess yet another connective theme in your work the, the, the sort of the roundness and primalness uh from the tapestry to even the potatoes uh, mm, and even walking yes. walking up the um the uh sort of uh the in meadows a, and stuff in a circle it, it seems to me that there's a lot of stuff in your work that is very tactile it's about touch it's about connectedness yeah. like i like in running on air i use the tape player from the uh from the front of the car and that yeah. felt really significant because it's something that you can hop like a tape is something you can hold yeah. and you can see and yeah it's about stuff that you can actually experience yeah. um let's end on uh, an, uh, a, a connective question um uh that may throw up some interesting and indeed downright disturbing answers hmm. what are the five best things to touch what, what what's the best oh my gosh i feel a bit sick <laughs> What are the five best things to touch? What, 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 what feelings are, are the best? I don't think we're before in watershed. Well, it depends what I say, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, crikey. What are the five best things what, what to worse? touch? Or worse, you know. Uh, uh, you know yeah, I... <laughs> Such a weird question. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we came to a very soft end. I used to end on a big... What about 
that like cornflower and water thing have you ever done oh, that? Yeah. I've done that yeah I wanted to end up to pick my son up from nursery and he yeah. was entirely covered in cornflower and water yeah it's very satisfying it is it is I like putting my hand in cold water, yeah. like streams and the sea. Yes. But I'm not a big fan of like get really getting into cold water. No. I'm a bit of a wimp when yeah. it comes to that. Though I have been swimming in the sea since I came down to Brighton this time, and that yeah. was very liberating. Yeah. Cold, but liberating. We're not going to get a better end line than that, are we? <laughs> no, cold but liberating. Laura Mugridge. The name, the name of your next album. <laughs> Thank you, Laura Mugridge. <laughs> This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkey. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore iron acts. On Facebook, ironclad cast iron, all one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening. you'd like me to say what are the five I mean what five five best things to touch <laughs> touching your feels you know I think that's a valid question <laughs> sandpaper uh, dog um. <laughs> Aiden Turner great wow Sorry.